This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This morning, we have all now resigned from the Labour Party. This has been a very difficult, painful, but necessary decision. We represent different parts of the country. We are of different backgrounds. We were born of different generations, but we all share the same values. From today, we will all sit in Parliament as a new independent group of MPs. Hello and welcome to yet another special edition of the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Hot-footing it back to Westminster for my holidays to witness yet another extraordinary day in British politics. Well, no one could accuse them of rushing into it. For months, years even, we've been subjected to talk of a Labour split. As journalists, we've listened patiently while Labour MPs bent our ears and confided their fears but then refused to do anything about it. Well, now they have, seven of them anyway, Chukwamuna, Mike Gapes, Anne Coffey, Chris Leslie, Angela Smith, Luciana Berger and Gavin Shuka took the leap into the unknown, quitting the Labour Party. They have formed the snappily titled The Independent Group, which everyone assumes will become a political party at some point. But this is just the start of something bigger. What does it mean for the Labour Party, for Jeremy Corbyn? What does it mean for Brexit? In this special episode recorded in Parliament, I speak to two of the now former Labour MPs about when they decided to quit and why. Aisha has a RECA, a former advisor to Gordon Brown, Harriet Harman and Ed Miliband on what this means for the Labour Party and what is Tom Watson up to. Corbyn supporting commentator Ash Sarkar on how the Labour leadership should respond. But first, I'm joined by Henry Zeffman, political correspondent for The Times, who was at the launch of the Independent Group. Uh, Henry, just describe what it was like in the room, because it's been talked about for so long. It was the thing that we assumed was never going to happen. What was the atmosphere like in the room? Uh, There is something quite extraordinary for political journalists, all of whom are political nerds and political history geeks, about a rupture in a political party. Lots of people talk about the Limehouse Declaration and the the subsequent formation of the SDP. In fact, there was a a play about it uh, on in the West End uh, not that long ago. Uh, And for a good half an hour before the MPs came out onto the stage in a sort of pretty bland conference centre just over the bridge from Parliament. We were all speculating about who it was going to be. I mean, we had some 
firm ideas. Clearly, Trukhara Munnar was going to be one of them, not just because it's been clear for some time that this is where he's headed politically, but also because the notification that there was going to be a press conference came from his spokesman, uh, which is something of a giveaway. It was a clue. It would be a surprise if Trukhara wasn't on board if his own press man was, uh, was involved. Uh, Yes, but you can rule nothing out in the post-September 2015 Labour Party. We knew there were going to be seven of them because there were seven armchairs uh, ready on the stage. But we genuinely didn't know who all of them were going to be. One journalist near me, as uh, the group sort of processed uh, through the... uh, camera shutters clicking and clicking and clicking said oh my god it's Gisela Stewart uh it was not Gisela Stewart the former Labour MP <laughs> uh and co-chair of the Vote Leave campaign it was Anne Coffey uh who despite being the Labour MP for Stockport since 1992 does not have a particularly big profile in Westminster but that was a sign of the genuine sort of fascination and excitement I think at uh you know as all journalists feel when a big breaking story is happening in front of their eyes and actually, even even allowing for uh, extraordinary day fatigue, uh, which we've had quite a lot of them in Westminster, it, it is still, and also because it's not it's not Brexit related, it's not another cabinet minister resigning over Brexit. It does feel like a new front opening up in politics, and it's the thing that everyone is talked about. Lots of people have been excited about the idea of a you know centrist party emerging in some way, and it's all been sort of theoretical. And people say it won't work. People say it will work. It's only a matter of time. And now it's really happening. So it's going to test those theories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is not, by the way, uh, as excited as we are by a breaking story, uh, you know, let's temper our sort of journalistic excitement with the fact that this is for many uh, Labour MPs or Labour types who've been urging a breakaway for some time, not quite what they wanted. And there's only seven. Uh, Some of them are pretty isolated within the parliamentary party. Uh, there are a good few dozen more MPs who share their analysis of the problems with the Labour Party and particularly with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of it but uh, either were very clear straight away that they were never going to agree with their proposed solution i.e. a breakaway or uh, have just sort of stared over the precipice over the last few days and decided no actually I'm not I'm not with you at this point but it will be intriguing over the next few days to see what influence this group can wield. Now, not just in the Labour Party, although we saw it today uh, with their very decision to split, provoking a quite amazing response from Tom Watson, a sort of statement of intent uh, for those Labour moderates who are staying in the party. But also in Parliament, uh, we have seen from the DUP, who have 10 MPs, uh, just how much influence a small group of MPs can wield over the government. Now, this seven, they've not been the most loyal followers of the Labour whip over the last couple of years, sure, but cast out on their own, particularly because they want to make a splash and differentiate themselves from the Labour Party in the minds of the public. It will be really interesting to see what sorts of ways they come up with to wield their influence in Westminster. So what are they going to do and how are they going to do it? Earlier on, Henry and I went on, I think it's fair to say, a wild goose chase up the, the back stairs of Parliament, trying to get to the office of one of the MPs who was on. We finally got there. We found Gavin Shuker and Henry and I sat down with him to ask him, what on earth is he up to? It's been it's been about what I'd imagined. Um, there are people that have not wanted us to be in the Labour Party, uh, who have been uh, very clear about... They're glad that we have gone or possibly want us to stay or they're not happy. Let's put it that way. But also a lot of people that are very reasonable and measured about it, including, I have to say, you've just walked up the flight of steps to find my hidden away office. Colleagues, um, colleagues that would share our analysis that to let 
you know, the listeners of your podcast into a secret probably would be quite as frank and share our analysis even with journalists, um, but weren't willing to come out and say what they what we did today. Do you think they're more inclined to come out and say it because of what you've done today? Or do you think some of the angry reaction will make them think twice? I mean, it could go either way, couldn't it? You know, we had a question earlier, a very smart question. So, you know, SDP, gang of four, big political figures. Um, and there's the seven of you on stage. So, uh, you know, what qualifies you for it? In a sense, you know, we're not saying that we would have the best oratory or the best... Uh, political set of skills but I do think we've got the best judgment on this one actually and I do think that people have responded to the sense of integrity that we've approached this from we've said look we are not going to be able to recommend a Jeremy Corbyn led government we're also not now on that on that though because you did do that in all of you did that two less than two years ago you stood and there's nothing really that we know about Jeremy Corbyn now whether it's anti-semitism or Russia or or even his reluctance to row in behind Labour Party policy on Brexit. You knew all of that in 2017. You all still stood on a ticket which could have made him Prime Minister. Look, I think it's slightly different, though, in the sense that certainly the leader of the Labour Party and his instincts, what all the things that you just said, look at his response to anti-Semitism, national security, Russia, and so on. But you couldn't say that the Labour Party had been captured at every level by the hard left. That has been the transformation of the party since 2017. And Mike Gapes, one of my colleagues in the independent group, who stood up and said today, you know, I did stay and fight. I stood and fought through the 80s. I was in the trenches with Neil Kinnock. This is a different measure of challenge to that one today. And so where does this go? Because uh, independent groups, not the, it's not the snappiest of names, it's quite difficult to find on Google, as we've all found uh, today. D- does this ultimately become a, a new political party? My own view is I think there is an absolutely gaping need for something that is radical in the centre of British politics. And also, as, the, as we said today, look, you know, the Labour Party's gone to the hard left, the Tories um, uh, want a hard right Brexit, the Lib Dems have lost the trust of people. We actually think the best way to do this is the way we've done it today, to say, look, we're members of parliament, we're seeking the national interest, we're going to form a group, and we're not going to be prescriptive about where this goes next. But if you ask me, do do I think there is there are millions of people that feel politically homeless that could find a home in a group that we supported and uh, established? Yeah, I do. And what's been the sort of scale of that interest today with the sort of the website seems to have been wobbling on and off yeah. for most of the day? Is that what sort of numbers you've been getting? Uh, I don't know the numbers at the top of my head, but I know we were at something like 14 servers, you know, at one point. Um, it has been unprecedented. Um, and I hope that we're able to say something about money towards the end of the day. But I know people have been giving as well, which is going to be necessary. You know, because there is a risk that you're right. Everyone says, oh, there's a big gap in the middle. Everyone's crying out for something. And the risk is everyone's crying out for, for something different. Sure. I mean, look, we published our values on our website and in our statement today in a sense, it's kind of both a feature and the bug. Uh, people will say, oh, these seem like sensible, moderate, mainstream values that should find a home in British politics and are quite hard to disagree with. But you've got two parties that are going out of their way to run away from them. Um, you know, we've all described the problem. We've been doing it for years. You know, it's not normal anymore. Things have changed in a big way. Um, I think the argument that we would try and advocate is to say, look, here's a set of values that not only unite people across the parties in Westminster, but actually in the country as well. Now, it's day one. Um, Absolutely, if there's some momentum, to use the term, uh, behind what we're doing, 
absolutely. There will, there will be electoral challenges and, and stuff to come. But not, not by-elections immediately. That's, that was one of the things, and it's an inevitable criticism. Well, if you, you, know, if you believe in this that much, why not quit and trickle a by-election? Yeah, I mean, it's a relatively new constitutional device that some uh, have discovered uh, and seem to think they should hold us to. No, I was elected by the residents of Luton South. I was really clear about what I was going to fight for, my position on Brexit, my views on the leadership. Um, no one really kind of was duped. Also, look, we are at a moment of high political drama and crisis. I don't think anyone wants a general election or by-elections at this point, and we'll stand on our record. And what's the best you can hope for out of all this? Is it 50 Labour MPs join you, 50 Tory MPs join you, you you sweep to power with a majority at the next election, or is it as a sort of Lib Dem holding the balance of power or a UKIP you know, actually not really getting a foothold in Parliament, but wielding incredible influence over one of the main parties. What, what's the sort of model that you're looking at? Well, we think two things. First of all, with this Parliament and the maths that's there, you can exert quite a lot of influence, actually, as an independent group. To be clear, we're not going to go and join the Lib Dems, but we'd certainly welcome any um, that realise the game is up over there coming in, sitting with us. More broadly, you know, what do you want to take with you? I mean, it's obviously been quite an active question in my mind as I've been working on this. You want to take as many people that actually share your values, not just policy, but culturally. And one of the things that we want to genuinely do is do this differently without the tribal politics. You know, the inside of a political party is a pretty mean and nasty place. Um, And one of the joys of doing this process is, you know, you go out there with a group of people that genuinely share your values. That's what we want. And what... What was the moment for you? Because loads of M- Labour... I mean, I spent the last three, four years speaking to Labour MPs who are unhappy with Jeremy Corbyn being the leader. But what was the moment for you when you thought, I just can't do this anymore? I mean, I think I felt almost immediately after the last general election that it wouldn't be feasible for me to stand again um, on a Labour ticket and advocate uh, a Labour government. But it was probably a few months after that that I just knew in my heart, look, I'm not going to finish this Parliament as a Labour MP. I stayed, of course, to try and shape the party's approach on Brexit. We all did. It's now abundantly clear that Jeremy Corbyn will do many things, but one of the things he will not do is be dragged kicking and screaming to a people's vote. And in that sense, we have to put our hands up and say, look, you know, time's done. And has it been emotional? Yeah, in places, you know, different people will handle it in different ways. I mean, I've had quite a long time to deal with uh, thinking through this moment. For other colleagues, yeah, it was emotional today. And... You know, even colleagues that you've had this conversation with that may not reach the same conclusion. Um, But I I actually, you know, I felt really good today at the press conference, just being able to just really clearly be honest with people. Um, And I think people responded in kind. I think people understand whether they agree with us or not. Actually, these are some people that are speaking genuinely and straightforwardly about the situation they're in. And have you had any contact from Jeremy Corbyn or his team since? Uh, yeah, I think he sent me a letter, but to be honest, it's it's buried in some emails at this point, um, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, no, I haven't. I, I, we resigned to Jenny Formby, and so there was a letter from her as well. Uh, I tried to give Tom Watson a quick call, though. Didn't get through, I have to say. Leadership of the Labour Party, I think, probably thinks we're beyond redemption at this point. When was the last time you spoke to Jeremy? It's probably a few months ago, in all honesty, just something in the division lobby. But, um, you know, fair enough for him. For me, to stay in the Labour Party now is an act of faith. It's not backed by any reason. You can't point to, don't worry, something's coming around the corner, something will turn up. Um, Unite will change its general secretary. You know, don't worry, Angie Rayner's just around the corner. The evidence is not there. Now, if you've got that faith, great. 
stay, work at it. The seven of us have said that we don't. We don't share Tom Watson's analysis, although, uh, you know, I thought it was a welcome statement today. But in a sense, this is now a problem for the Labour Party to sort. And is this it or can we look forward to more people joining you in the coming weeks? Is there a plan? Uh, I would like to see more people come and join us. And today, of course, seven Labour colleagues have laid out their very clear objections to the leadership of the Labour Party. Now, do I think there are others in other political parties that recognise the same thing as us, that the game is up? Yeah, I do. As we always say, uh, there's probably quite a lot of twists and turns to come to this story yet. That was almost like a politician's non-answer. What about Conservatives? Are you confident that we'll see Conservatives joining this independent group? I don't know. But what I do know is that there are good Conservative colleagues who share our values, who share our same analysis, um, and actually who I think are brave enough to do it. Um, And I suspect, actually, things kind of quieten down for us because we've left the Labour Party, but all those Tory WhatsApp groups or those Labour WhatsApp groups will be firing off uh, multiple directions while people work out what they're going to do. Do I think there are more to come? Yeah, quite possibly. And have you been removed from the Labour WhatsApp groups? I think they took me away from the co-op WhatsApp group, which was a killer because I really like the co-op party. I'm very proud to represent it um, until this morning. No, I think... Genuinely, colleagues have been pretty good. Um, so you're still in the WhatsApp groups? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, to be honest, I've, I've been juggling quite a few things, Matt. <laughs> but... Gavin Shuka there, an MP from Luton, now sitting in the independent group. As we were discussing there, one of the most extraordinary interventions of the day actually came from Tom Watson, the deputy leader of the Labour Party. In a five-minute video posted on YouTube, he said he was very sad that the seven had quit. He could understand their concerns but felt they'd reached the wrong conclusion. But he then went on to say he was going to work on alternative policies for the Labour Party, even suggesting a reshuffle, a shake-up of the Labour front bench to better reflect the opinion in what he called the congregation. In a moment, we'll talk to Aisha Hazarika, the former advisor to Gordon Brown, Harriet Harman and Ed Miliband. But first, here's a quick listen to what Tom Watson had to say. I want to say something in particular about Luciana Berger. In my time in politics, I've witnessed many changes, but perhaps the most profound of recent times has been the growth of identity politics. And I'm sad to say that a virulent form of identity politics has seized the Labour Party, which today took its first casualty. And I'd like to place on record my complete respect for Luciana and my understanding of the decision to which she has been driven. They say anti-Semitism is a light sleeper. This is certainly a wake-up call for the Labour Party. We were slow to acknowledge we had a problem and even slower to deal with it. Even a single incident of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party shames us, it shames us all. Now we've lost Luciana, one of our most dedicated and courageous MPs. If someone like her no longer believes there's a role for her in the Labour Party, then many other colleagues I know will be asking themselves how they can stay. That's why time is short for us to confront the scale of the problem and meet the consequences, to keep others from leaving. The identity of this party must be tolerant, multicultural, generous and welcoming. To put it mildly, we need to be kinder and gentler. 
Okay, so watching Tom Watson's video with me, uh, here in Portcullis House in Parliament is Aisha Hazrika, former advisor to Ed Miliband and Harriet Harman. Aisha, while you were watching that Tom Watson video, you kept using the word wow. Yeah, and wow again. I mean, I sort of can't quite believe I'm in this situation. Like when I joined the Labour Party, it was this incredibly strong, proud tribe. It was like a tribe. I felt like I had joined a family. And so today to see this split, I think a lot of us are are sort of slightly incredulous. I was sort of surprised in a good way at Tom Watson's statement because there was no prevarication. Like he was absolutely clear about how upset he felt about particularly Luciana leaving. And I think as well, his very, very strong message at the end saying the Labour Party is not going to win if it carries on exuding this sense that it is a party which bullies people, which sort of doesn't tolerate any difference in thought and that he thinks there needs to be a change in the front bench. And that That's pretty amazing, isn't it? For the, for the deputy leader of the Labour Party to call for a reshuffle because... In his words, it doesn't reflect the full congregation. That's it. That's an extraordinary challenge to, to Corbyn. It is, and I think Tom is actually taking a great personal risk himself because a lot of um, Corbynistas do not love Tom Watson. They think he has been disloyal because he has stood up against anti-Semitism. So I think he's actually like running the risk of a huge amount of like attacks on him. His own position might be threatened because of this. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he does this, then there's some kind of challenge on him to be the deputy leader. But he is speaking truth to power. And I think Labour Party members today who find themselves in real emotional and moral turmoil will agree with every single word that Tom Watson has said. The other interesting thing was he talked about how he's got to work with Labour MPs to come up with alternative policies, which again doesn't seem like the job of the Deputy Leader to to come up with a different policy platform uh, to Corbyn. Do you think he's basically challenging Corbyn to, you know, sack him or... Does he want to flush out those people to start maybe a deselection process against him? To Does he want to be forced out of the party? Is he sort of putting up, joining this fight, if you like, so if in a week's time or two weeks' time he can join the new independent group? I'm not sure if it goes sort of that far. I do think Tom, and I'm very good friends with Tom and we, we talk sort of regularly, I think he is, like everybody, just so confused by what has happened to the Labour Party. I think the line that was very powerful for me was, you know, he sometimes, there are days where he doesn't recognise his own party, a party he's been member of for, like, decades now. So I think he wants to, to quote a great phrase from Jeremy Corbyn during the EU referendum campaign, I think he wants to remain in reform. (laughs) (laughs) Without having to exit uh, from, from the party, but... I've spoken to a lot of Labour MPs today from all different parts of the country and all different factions of the Labour Party. And while they greatly admire their colleagues and they love their colleagues and they, you know, they, they don't blame them for what they've done, they sort of want to get behind the Tom Watson um, thing, which is that we have got to try and make this work. And that, a lot of that is going to depend on Jeremy Corbyn's reaction. The interesting thing was he, he responded to seven Labour MPs quitting his party and accusing him of being anti-Semitic with a three-paragraph press release which basically suggested it was all going fine and it was sort of just some bits from the manifesto and, you know, this, this is what we're going to... It didn't seem like it was necessarily rising to the occasion. But inevitably what we ended up with was the uh, off-the-record Labour sources because the Corbyn office do all of their work off the record. It's always done by sources. Saying that they, this group should quit and trigger 
by-elections. Do you think, given what we know about the, the Corbyn operation, how confident are you that they react in a way to this which doesn't exacerbate the problem? I am supremely underwhelmed and unconfident about this. I would like them to. Look, I think if they were smart, and not just intellectually smart, but emotionally intelligent, they would understand that a really big line has been crossed today. And they would sort of try and reach out to sort of different factions. The irony about the project is there are so many Labour MPs I speak to who do actually like the policy platform that Corbyn offers. For them, this was the easiest doorstep challenge that they had because in years gone by, when I was working for Ed or working for Gordon, our manifestos would be sort of a garbled offer of triangulated, you know, on the one hand, on the other. You know, it was very hard to say, even like Ed and Gordon could hardly remember the top three things in the manifesto <laughs> other than, you know, a future fear for all or something like that. So there's lots of good stuff that a lot of the MPs like, a lot of the constituents like, a lot of the members like. You can argue that the, the centre ground is moving slightly. A lot of these things are popular. Anti-austerity is a very big project now for a lot of people but they cannot divorce all the good policy stuff from the culture of the party because the culture and values are absolutely you know they are the dna of the labor party we are not just a policy we're not just a think tank that churns out you know interesting eye-catching ideas we're about our values and lots of us came to the labor party because we were meant to be kinder than other political parties we fought discrimination racism prejudice in all its forms and we didn't tolerate bullying and I don't want to be part of a party which is like hey we've got a great policy on trains but there's a little dollop of racism on the side <laughs> Aisha has a week in there. Now, just as I was packing up from chatting to her in Portcullis House in Parliament, who should come bowling over but none other than Mike Gapes, another one of the Labour MPs who've quit the party. So I asked him quickly to sum up in a sentence or two why he'd taken the leap. I've been agonising for some months and I've come to the position that I cannot, in all conscience, support Jeremy Corbyn and the people around him being in government on three issues, the failure to combat the anti-Semitism in our Labour Party, secondly the fact that he and the people around him are trying to facilitate Brexit and thirdly on a whole range of foreign policy issues from Russia to Syria to Venezuela, he and the people around him are on the wrong side. I could not stand at a general election as a Labour candidate and say, I want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister. I have to be true to myself and my values, and for that reason I've, I cannot do that. And how many of your former colleagues on the Labour benches do you think feel the same? I have no idea. I know lots of Labour MPs have similar views to me, lots of, but we're all in a different position. We have to come to these decisions personally and there are different factors in every case. And so it, people will, will make their own decisions in their own time. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Okay, I'm now joined by Ash Sarka, the senior editor at Navarro Media, Corbyn supporter. Uh, what have you made of today? Were you surprised? Are you are you saying good riddance? Or are you sad? Or what's what's your sort of immediate reaction? As the child of a broken home, no one likes to see a split. It's obviously sad, but also it's been a long time coming, and I think we should be really honest about that. Ever since Corbyn became leader in 2015, there's been this talk of whether Labour can sustain itself as a broad church or whether or not we'll see some splits. Now, actually, this splinter is a lot smaller than lots of people predicted it was going to be. And I think that's because it's so plainly been, I think, with one exception, a project of ego and political opportunism. The one person who I... I'm genuinely very sad to see go is Luciana Berger because while we differ on a lot of things I think most notably the people's vote she is plainly a very principled politician she's someone who has fought tooth and nail against anti-semitism in her party she's been advocating for the speeding up of bureaucratic processes and she's taken a lot of flack for it I consider my politics anti-racist first and foremost. That's why I became an activist in the first place. And so to see that campaigning energy go, that's really sad to me. Do you think she's got a point about the way the party's handled the anti-Semitism problem? I think that there's a lot that could be done to make things faster. One thing that I think they need to look at is having independent oversight of the complaints process. Because, sure most of the complaints that reach the Labour Party don't actually concern Labour Party members, but there's still this element of human error. And so you've got to think of a system which can minimise the room for that human error when it comes to making a judgement call. OK, so now um, what should Jeremy Corbyn do? Because there's obviously a big, there seems to be a lot of division. The sort of official line from the sort of Jeremy Corbyn statement is very sad, but it's a small group and we must get on with campaigning on the manifesto from 2017 and onwards and upwards to get the toys out. The sort of unofficial sources from around Jeremy Corbyn says they should all quit now and trigger by-elections and there's a sort of behind-the-scenes move against anyone else thinking about doing the same thing and good riddance to bad rubbish and all that sort of thing. What do you think is the way that Corbyn should, should properly respond to it? 
I think what Corbyn personally is doing is the right thing to do, which is focus on the manifesto, focus on averting no deal and think about the big obstacles that still lay between him and number 10. And I think getting caught up in anything that looks petty is very much beneath him. When it comes to what I think is best for our political culture, and I think this is something which all of us need to be going hard on, is that those seven MPs, I think, should be standing aside for by-elections. Because say what you want about Carswell and Reckless, they did say, you know what, let's put this to the constituents. Did you vote for me, the individual, or did you vote for the party ticket that I was representing at the time? And I think all seven of those MPs should essentially put it back in their constituents' hands. They've also spent the last three years saying that they're not going to be listening to the membership, they're only accountable to their constituents, and now suddenly they've gone very quiet on that front. What impact do you think this will have ultimately on Jeremy Corbyn's chances of becoming Prime Minister? Do you think this is a flash in the pan and you know, give it a couple of weeks and they'll just be still sitting in their group? Or do you think there is a risk that it, this group is more likely to take votes from the Labour Party and every vote taken from the Labour Party is going to, you know, it makes it harder for him to become Prime Minister? The most toxic thing for any political project is complacency. So I'm not one of those that says, oh, look, we turned it around in 2017. That means 2022 or sooner, we'll do it again. However, when you look at the arithmetic of it, 78% of the marginal seats that Labour need to nab off the Conservatives for a majority are to be found in Leave voting constituencies. These seven MPs are all absolutely die-hard Remainers, where they could knock Labour's vote in urban constituencies. So we're thinking about Putney, we're thinking about Kensington and Chelsea, we're thinking about Battersea. If there was to be... Uh, people's vote, which is still, I think, technically on the big heaving Labour table of Brexit (laughs) options, well, then these seven MPs really, truly have got nothing. So I don't think it is as big an issue as it would have been had Labour leavers split from the party. Because now it looks like a a Brexit thing rather than a fundamental problem with the Labour Party thing. It does. And also lots of them were saying the problem with Corbyn is that he's facilitating Brexit. Well, that was the manifesto they all stood on in 2017. So all of them saw their vote share go up personally. Mike Gape saw his uh, majority increase by, I think, 10,000 votes, which is bananas. And now he's saying, no, I have a massive problem with that manifesto that I stood on. Either it was a integrity issue then and that means that you lied to your constituents about how you felt or you've suddenly realized brexit is bad within the last year and a half which makes me question your political nows so i'm now just walking down the committee corridor in the house of commons uh, it's exactly as you would expect it's a big long corridor wood panelled green leather benches on either side very gaudy parliamentary carpet there are lots of meeting rooms there's a mcdonald room I'm outside now lots of paintings of Prime Minister's gone by hanging on the walls. But in the Gladstone room tonight, Labour MPs gathering for the PLP, the meeting of the Parliamentary Labour Party, every week, six o'clock on the dot, they gather for an update on uh, the goings-on in the Labour Party. It used to be where they might discuss a bit of policy, perhaps. Tonight, they were discussing the split in the party. Seven of their colleagues not at the meeting. There was a ripple of applause at their mention, but it was all sort of bundled in with tributes to Paul Flynn, the Labour MP who died over the weekend. So what difference is it made? One MP left tonight telling me that he thought it had been a meeting of two halves. The loyalists on the other side, the critics of Jeremy Corbyn. Several Labour MPs, prominent MPs who have been highly critical of Jeremy Corbyn in the past, made clear they were not going to resign. Stella Creasy was one of them. Ruth Smith became a bit emotional when she was making clear she wasn't going to resign. It had to be urged by colleagues to 
press on. As MPs left after more than an hour of um, this going round and round in circles, what had we learnt? Well, not a huge amount, if I'm absolutely honest. Um, one MP left saying it's a complete and utter waste of time. Everyone just talked rubbish. It was dire, said another. One Labour MP, uh, perhaps mourning the loss of the recess that was supposed to be happening this week, uh, was overheard telling a colleague, I was supposed to be at a bloody spa today. So uh, that's where their priorities lie. One former Labour cabinet minister, now in the House of Lords, left muttering under his breath, what a load of shit. Uh, So that just about sums up the mood in the Labour Party. Tonight, nobody's quite sure how it all plays out, with more Labour MPs follow the seven who've quit already. Or is this the high point for the independent group? Is this the birth of a brand new party or the end of their careers? It's a horrible, horrible, horrible cliché. But it's a cliche for a reason in politics. Only time will tell. For me, Matt Jolly in the Houses of Parliament, goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.